0: in the public. Okay. me. still he wailed and kicked with his legs, and refused to be comforted. So the wise girl retired for the time, but of course a good deal of the smell of hot cabbage remained behind, as it will do. And Toad, between his sobs, sniffed. in them, raked by sun and wind, of kitchen-gardens and straight herb-borders, and warm snapdragon beset by bees, and of the comforting clink of dishes set down on the table at Toad Hall, and the scrape of legs on the floor as every one pulled himself close up to his work. The air of the narrow cell took a rosy tinge. He began to think of his friends and how they would surely be sat up on end once more, dried his eyes, sipped his tea and munched his toast, and soon began talking freely about himself, and the house he lived in, and his doings there, and how important he was, and what a lot his friends thought of him. The jailer's daughter saw that the topic was doing him as much good as the tea, as indeed it was. "'and encouraged him to go on. "'Tell me about Toad Hall,' said she. "'It sounds beautiful.' "'Toad Hall,' said the Toad proudly, "'is an eligible, self-contained gentleman's residence, "'very unique, dating in part from the fourteenth century, "'but replete with every modern convenience, "'up-to-date sanitation, five minutes from church, "'post-office and golf-links.' Suitable for. Bless the animal," said the girl, laughing. "I don't want to take it. Tell me something real about it. But first, wait till I fetch you some more tea and toast." She tripped away and presently returned with a fresh trayful, and Toad, pitching into the toast with avidity, his spirits quite restored to their usual level, told her about the boat house and the fish-pond, and the old walled kitchen-garden, and about the pig and the stables, and the pigeon-house and the hen-house, and about the dairy and the wash-house, and the china-cupboards and the linen-presses—she liked that bit especially—and about the banqueting-hall, and the fun they had there when the other animals were gathered round the table, and Toad was at his best, singing songs, telling stories, carrying on generally. Then she wanted to know about his animal friends and was very interested in all he had to tell her about them and how they lived and what they did to pass their time. Of course she did not say she was fond of animals as pets because she had the sense to see that Toad would be extremely offended. When she said good night, jug and shaken up his straw for him, Toad was very much the same sanguine, self-satisfied animal that he had been of old. He sang a little song or two, of the sort he used to sing at his dinner parties, curled himself up in the straw, and had an excellent night's rest and the pleasantest of dreams. They had many interesting talks together after that, as the dreary days went on, and the jailer's daughter grew very sorry for Toad, and thought it a great shame that a poor little animal should be locked up in prison for what seemed to her a very trivial offence. Toad, of course, in his vanity, thought that her interest in him sort in the family, you understand. She takes out the washing on Monday morning and brings it in on Friday evening. This is a Thursday. Now, this is what occurs to me. You're very rich, at least you're always telling me so, and she's very poor. A few pounds wouldn't make any difference to you, and it would mean a lot to her. Now, I think if she were properly approached—squared, I believe, is the word you animals use—you could come to some arrangement, by which she would let you have her dress and bonnet and so on, and you could escape from the castle as the official washerwoman. You're very alike in many respects, particularly about the figure.' "'We're not,' said the Toad in a huff. "'I have a very elegant figure, for what I am." So has my aunt, replied the girl, for what SHE is; but have it your own way, you horrid proud, circumstances over which she had no control. "'Now it's your turn, Toad,' said the girl. "'Take off that coat and waistcoat of yours. You're fat enough as it is.' Shaking with laughter, she proceeded to hook and tie him into the cotton-print gown, arranged the shawl with a professional fold, and tied the strings of the rusty bonnet under his chin. "'You're the very image of her,' she giggled, "'only I'm sure you never looked half so respectable in all your life before. "'Now good-bye, Toad, and good luck. Go straight down the way you came up, and if anyone says anything to you, as they probably will, "'being but men you can chaff back a bit, of course. But remember you're a widow-woman, quite alone in the world, with a character to lose.' with a quaking heart but as firm a footstep as he could command toad set forth cautiously on what seemed to be a most hare-brained and hazardous undertaking but he was soon agreeably surprised to find how easy everything was made for him and a little humbled at the thought that both his popularity and the sex that seemed to inspire it were really another's The washerwoman's squat figure, in its familiar cotton print, seemed a passport for every barred door and grim gateway. Even when he hesitated, uncertain as to the right turning to take, he found himself helped out of his difficulty by the water at the next gate, anxious to be off to his tea, summoning him to come along sharp and not keep him waiting there all night. The chaff and the humorous sallies— to which he was subjected, and to which, of course, he had to provide prompt and effective reply, formed indeed his chief danger. For Toad was an animal with a strong sense of his own dignity, and the chaff was mostly, he thought, poor and clumsy, and the humour of the Sallies entirely lacking. However, he kept his temper. Company and his supposed character, and did his best not to overstep the limits of good taste. It seemed hours before he crossed the last courtyard, rejected the pressing invitations from the last guard-room, and dodged the outspread arms of the last warder, pleading with simulated passion for just one farewell embrace. But at last he heard the wicket-gate the great outer door click behind him, felt the fresh air of the outer world upon his anxious brow, and knew that he was free. Dizzy with the easy success of his daring exploit, he walked quickly towards the lights of the town, not knowing in the least what he should do next, only quite certain of one thing—that he must remove himself as quickly as possible. From the neighbourhood where the lady he was forced to represent was so well known and so popular a character as he walked along considering his attention was caught by some red and green lights a little way off to one side of the town and the sound of the puffing and snorting of engines and the banging of shunted trucks fell on his ear Ah! he thought this is a piece of luck A railway station is the thing I want most in the whole world at this moment, and what's more, I needn't go through the town to get it, and shan't have to support this humiliating character by repartees which, though thoroughly effective, do not assist one's sense of self-respect. He made his way to the station accordingly, consulted a timetable, and found that a train bound more or less in the direction of his home was due to start in half an hour more luck said toad his spirits rising rapidly and went off to the booking office to buy his ticket he gave the name of the station that he knew to be nearest to the village of which toad hall was the principal feature and mechanically put his fingers in search of the necessary money where his waistcoat pocket should have been. But here the cotton gown, which had nobly stood by him so far, and which he had basely forgotten, intervened and frustrated his efforts. In a sort of nightmare he struggled with a strange, uncanny thing that seemed to hold his hands, turn all muscular strivings to water, and laugh at him all the time, while other travellers— forming up in a line behind, waited with impatience, making suggestions of more or less value, and comments of more or less stringency and point. At last-somehow-he never rightly understood how-he burst the barriers, attained the goal, arrived at where all waistcoat pockets are eternally situated, and found-not only no money, no pocket to hold it, and no waistcoat to hold the pocket. To his horror he recollected that he had left both coat and waistcoat behind him in his cell, and with them his pocket-book, money, keys, watch, matches, pencil-case, all that makes life worth living, all that distinguishes the many-pocketed animal, the lord of creation, from the inferior one-pocketed or no-pocketed productions that hop or trip about permissively, unequipped for the real contest. In his misery he made one desperate effort to carry the thing off, and, with a return to his fine old manner, a blend of the squire and the college don, he said, Look here, I find I've Indeed. as you. Very well, that's that. And I'm an engine driver, as you well may see, and there's no denying it's terribly dirty work. Uses up a power of shirts it does, till my missus is fair tired of washing of em. If you'll wash a few shirts for me when you get home and send em along, I'll give you a ride on my engine. It's against the company's regulations, but we're not so very particular in these out-of-the-way parts. The Toad's misery turned into rapture as he eagerly scrambled up into the cab of the engine. Of course he had never washed a shirt in his life, and couldn't if he tried, and anyhow he wasn't going to begin, but he thought, when I get safely home to Toad Hall and have money again and pockets to put it in, I will send the engine-driver enough to pay for quite a quantity of washing and that will be the same thing or better! The guard waved his welcome flag, the engine-driver whistled in cheerful response, and the train moved out of the station. As the speed increased and the toad could see on either side of him real fields and trees and hedges and cows and horses, all flying past him. And as he thought how every minute was bringing him nearer to Toad Hall, and sympathetic friends, and money to chink in his pocket, and a soft bed to sleep in, and good things to eat, and praise and admiration at the recital of his adventures and his surpassing cleverness, he began to skip up and down, and shout, and sing snatches of song, to the great astonishment of the engine-driver, who had come across washerwomen before, at long intervals, but never one at all like this. They had covered many and many a mile, and Toad was already considering what he would have for supper as soon as he got home, when he noticed that the engine-driver, with a puzzled expression on his face, was leaning over the side of the engine and listening hard then he saw him climb onto the coals and gaze out over the top of the train. Then he returned and said to Toad, "'It's very strange. We're the last train running in this direction tonight, yet I could be sworn that I heard another following us.' Toad ceased his frivolous antics at once. He became grave and depressed, and a dull pain in the lower part of his spine, communicating itself to his legs, made him want to sit down and try desperately not to think of all the possibilities. By this time the moon was shining brightly, and the engine driver, steadying himself on the coal, could command a view of the line behind them for a long distance. Presently he called out, I can see it clearly now. It is an engine on our rails. pursued. The miserable Toad, crouching in the coal-dust, tried hard to think of something to do, with dismal want of success. "'They are gaining on us fast,' cried the engine-driver, "'and the engine is crowded with the queerest lot of people. Men like ancient warders, waving halberds, policemen in their helmets, waving truncheons and shabbily-dressed men in pot-hats, obvious and unmistakable plain detectives, even at this distance, waving revolvers and walking-sticks, all waving, and all shouting the same thing, Stop! 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 Then Toad fell on his knees among the coals, and, raising his clasped paws in supplication, cried, Save me, only save me, dear, kind Mr. Engine-Driver, and I will confess everything. I am not the simple washerwoman I seem to be. I have no children waiting for me, innocent or otherwise. I am a toad, the well-known and popular Mr. Toad, a landed proprietor. I have just escaped, by my great daring and cleverness, from a loathsome dungeon into which my enemies had flung me, and if those fellows on that engine recapture me, it will be chains and bread and water, and straw and misery once more, for poor, unhappy, innocent toad. The engine-driver looked down upon him very sternly, and said, Now tell the truth, what were you put in prison for? "It was nothing very much," said poor Toad, colouring deeply. "I only borrowed a motor-car while the owners were at lunch; they had no need of it at the time. I didn't mean to steal it, really; but people, especially magistrates, take such harsh views of thoughtless and high-spirited actions." The engine-driver looked very grave, and said, "'I fear that you have been indeed a wicked toad, and by rights I ought to give you up to offended justice. But you are evidently in sore trouble and distress, so I will not desert you. I don't hold with motor-cars for one thing, and I don't hold with being ordered about by policemen when I'm on my own engine for another. And the sight of an animal in tears always makes me feel queer and soft-hearted.' so cheer up, Toad, I'll do my best, and we may beat them yet. They piled on more coals, shovelling furiously. The furnace roared, the sparks flew, the engine leapt and swung, but still their pursuers slowly gained. The engine-driver, with a sigh, shot into the tunnel, and the engine rushed and roared and rattled, till at last they shot out at the other end into fresh air and the peaceful moonlight, and saw the wood lying dark and helpful upon either side of the line. The driver shut off steam and put on brakes, the toad got down on the step, and, as the train slowed down almost to a walking pace, he heard the driver call out "Now jump!" Toad jumped, rolled down a short embankment, picked himself up unhurt, scrambled into the wood and hid. Peeping out he saw his train get up speed again and disappear at a great pace; then out of the tunnel burst the pursuing engine, roaring and whistling, her motley crew waving their various weapons and shouting, Stop! 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 When they were past, the toad had a hearty laugh, for the first time since he was thrown into prison. But he soon stopped laughing when he came to consider that it was now very late and dark and cold, and he was in an unknown wood, with no money and no chance of supper, and still far from friends and home and the dead silence of everything after the roar and rattle of the train was something of a shock he dared not leave the shelter of the trees so he struck into the wood with the idea of leaving the railway as far as possible behind him after so many weeks within walls he found the wood strange and unfriendly and inclined he thought to make fun of him nightjars sounding their mechanical rattle made him think that the wood was full of searching warders closing in on him an owl sweeping noiselessly towards him brushed his shoulder with its wing making him jump with a horrid certainty that it was a hand then flitted off